Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. We're continuing our sermon series, Cultural Church. And so if you have your Bible, you can go and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1 as I position this. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to be beginning in chapter 12. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 1, about in the middle of the the New Testament. And so if you have a table of contents, feel free to use that. But we're doing this series called Cultural Church because we're called to be a a church in the culture, not a church of the culture. And there's a vast difference, right? Churches have two lines to go down, two paths to take. Are they influenced by the culture or are they influencing the culture? And that's what we see the Christian movement in the first century and beyond was influencers of the culture because they resembled Christ. And so here, Timothy, as we talked about last week, is being called to correct the conduct of the church in Ephesus because they were resembling more of the culture and less of Christ. And so this was a tough work that Timothy was called to. And so if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Failure Isn't Unforgivable. I'm going to say that again because I think we need to hear that. Failure is not unforgivable. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says this. I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. This is important. We have who we now know as Saul, who was formerly called Paul. He was formerly called Saul. And Saul was a persecutor of the church, a murderer. In Acts chapter 7, we see Saul guarding the garments of the mob that was murdering Stephen, the first Christian martyr. In Acts chapter 8, we see it says that Saul ravaged the church, going from house to house to drag off men and women to bring them to prison. And so we see that Saul was an adversary of Jesus, and actually he was anti-Jesus in almost every way possible. Like, think about the comparison. You got Saul, whose mission was to seek and to seize. Where Jesus, his mission was to seek and to save. You got Saul in prison people. You got Jesus who sets people free. You got Saul who was, his, his whole emphasis was to bring destruction. Where Jesus brings reconciliation. And so Saul was on the way nearing Damascus to carry out his orders to find this movement and the people belong to it called the way and arrest them, bring them to prison. And on the road nearing Damascus, he has an encounter with Jesus that will change his life. A light comes down and he hears a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? To his response, basically, who's that, Lord? He says, it's me, it's I, it's Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And Jesus would interrupt his life, bringing him and connecting him to a man named Ananias. And Saul would surrender to Jesus in faith as Lord and then follow him immediately in baptism. And his life would be forever changed. And now when you hear this account, let me ask you a question. What did Paul do to earn his salvation. 
Absolutely nothing. Let me, salvation, right? Being saved. And this is what we need to understand, is that God is just. And being a just God, he doesn't let penalty, sin, disobedience, rebellion go unpunished, or else he would be unjust. He's about justice. And so sin demands punishment, and the Bible's clear, the punishment of sin, the wages of sin is death. And so here we ask, what did Paul do to earn his salvation? I came across this story of a, a boy in kids' ministry. And talking to the ministry teacher, the teacher asked this question to the boy. What part did you play? What role did you have in your salvation? And his response was, well, it was partly God's work and partly my own. And so the teacher hearing this wants to dig in a little further. What do you mean partly your own? Well, the boy said, you see, I opposed God all I could, and he did the rest. That's my story. And that was Saul's story. Kicking and screaming along the way until I could not kick and scream anymore. And so here Paul, formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, and arrogant adversary of Christ, turned to ambassador and apostle for Christ Jesus. So here in verse 13, you see, I was formerly these things, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And it's interesting, in Paul you have two religious worldviews. On one hand, Paul, if you could have earned God's mercy and earned God's salvation and forgiveness, it would have been Paul would have earned that because he was considered the religious of the religious. He kept all the practices. He was the elite religious person as an example, yet that wasn't true. He, he would have been good enough in today's terms. So you got that on one hand. On the other hand, if anyone could out God's grace, deemed unforgivable because of failures, it would have been Paul who was a persecutor, a murderer, a blasphemer. Yet, neither of these are true. You see, God extended unmerited mercy. He extended overflowing grace and lavished his sacrificial love on everyone who believes, even the worst of us. Because I know some of us come here like, I am the worst. Even you. Or you're thinking about someone that's beyond salvation, like never could God forgive them. Yes, even them. And know this, as we see with Paul and I've experienced, you'll never be the same after experiencing Jesus' overflowing grace, unmerited mercy, and sacrificial love. You'll never, ever be the same. You can never turn back. And that's what Paul says, I was formerly these things. I used to be these things. Ephesians chapter 2 says it like this. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, made us alive in Christ. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. So then take off the former way of life, that old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and put on the new self that is in Christ Jesus. This is what experiencing Jesus does. You're no longer that person. You have been made new, re-imaged in the image you were created to have in the first place. Some say born again. 
And why this is important, because we need to understand that your failures are not unforgivable. Your past doesn't define you because Jesus has made you new. Psalm 103 verse 12 tells us, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And so, so oftentimes we think global instead of gospel. This is what I mean. Global, we think, you know, as if you keep going east or west far enough, he's going to come back around and you'll be back where you started. And that's how we think about our sin. Like, yeah, he forgave it, but then we keep bringing it back up. Gospel says, no, they are separated and keep being separated, never to return, completely erased, completely gone. As far as the east is from the west, your sins have been removed. This is the good news of the gospel. To which verse 15, Paul says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. That's interesting. Because in verse 13, you see, he says, I was the worst. I was formerly these things. I was the worst. Now in verse 15, he says, I am the worst. See, he's realizing two different things. One, he was a sinner in need of a Savior until he met his Savior, Jesus. Now, he is a sinner that has been saved. You guys tracking with that? We're still sinners. We still struggle with this issue. But the difference is we've been forgiven. We've been redeemed. We are called a child of God through faith in Christ. This is a tension that Paul ex explains in Romans chapter 7. He says, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Yes, I, the, the things I want to do, I don't do. This war that's raging inside of me. And he says, what a wretched man that I am. Because he see this sinful war, this nature that rises up, that combats with the new spirit he's been given in Christ Jesus. But then he reminds himself, and everyone who would read these inspired words in Romans 8 verse 1 says, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, your failures are not unforgivable. I hear this comment a lot. God will never forgive what I've done. Or, if God only knew what I've done. How many of us have subscribed to that nonsense at some point in our lives? It's a lie from the enemy. From the pit of hell, that's a lie. There is no failure that couldn't be redeemed and forgiven in Christ Jesus. None. And that's, I think, one of the, the powers of this series that we're going through, this cultural church series. Again, is the culture influencing the church, or, is, or are we influencing the culture? Because what the culture would say is this cancel culture that we live in deems a lot of different things unforgivable. Well, a good thing that Christ and his church are both counterculture. At least we should be. There's no failure that's unforgivable, yet we oftentimes treat it like that. And that's where we need to remember 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some unrighteousness, all unrighteousness, all of it, all sin, you know, it doesn't say, except for these sins, except for these failures, except for these issues, except for this thing that is unforgivable. All sin, all unrighteousness can be wiped away in Christ Jesus by faith. You are made new. 
To which verse 16 says, you know what? Paul, you can hear it, but sometimes maybe, maybe you're a little bit more hard-headed like I am. That sometimes I hear something, but I don't believe it until I see it. Kind of like Thomas, right? Remember Thomas? He missed the resurrected Jesus, but all his disciples were like, he came here. We saw him. He's like, you know what? I'll believe it when I see it. About a week later, he comes, and Jesus steps in the room, and like, Thomas, touch it. See it. Blessed are those who have faith but don't see. But sometimes we need to see. And so in verse 16, we see this statement that Paul gives. He says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. I don't know about you, but I'm extremely thankful to the Lord for his patience with me. Because I need it. His extraordinary patience through our struggling. Essentially, Paul's saying this, I'm living proof of Jesus' patience. Or I am a sample of the example Jesus set by the sinners that he came to save. In other words, if he can save me, he can save anyone. That's what he's saying. Many people call this the great exchange. When God traded his righteousness for our unrighteousness to make us righteous. In other words, Jesus takes our failures and gives forgiveness by faith in what he has finished. When he was on the cross, Jesus said, Tetelestai, one of my favorite words in the Bible. We have to use it for three words. It is finished. What's finished? Your sin is finished. It's been erased by Jesus' blood on the cross. It is finished. Your consequence for your sin eternally has been wiped away. You have been forgiven. You have been redeemed by his blood. Tetelestai means paid in full, essentially. They would stamp it on a payment that was made when the debt was satisfied. Tetelestai, your debt has been paid, fully satisfied. You have been forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says it like this. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He is a great example of failures that are forgivable and that there's no failure that is unforgivable. And maybe that doesn't, maybe that's not enough. I mean, you see examples all throughout biblical history. You see Moses was guilty of murder, but because of who God is, Moses' failure wasn't unforgivable. You see King David, guilty of murder and adultery, yet because who God is, his failure wasn't unforgivable. You see Peter, denying even knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. I don't know, that's pretty bad. And yet, because of who God is, even Peter's failures were not unforgivable. And you have this interesting encounter with Zacchaeus. You know Zacchaeus, wee little man? Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector, and so was largely an outcast to his community. Because he was essentially a traitor. And they were oftentimes guilty of skimming some off the top. So Zacchaeus was very much guilty of stealing. But seeing that Jesus was coming, 
And the crowds were following him. He couldn't see, again, wee little man. So what's he do? What wee little men do? They climb trees, yeah? So he climbs a tree so he can look at Jesus. And this is conjecture on my part. But I think that Zacchaeus knew those who followed Jesus, and he saw Matthew, that Matthew was accepted by Jesus because Matthew was a tax collector. And I thought that if he can accept Matthew, maybe he can accept me. Conjecture, but I think it's biblically founded. And so he climbs up this tree, and Jesus sees him, says, Zacchaeus, what in the world? This rough paraphrase. Come down from that tree, because I need to go to your house today. This is interesting. It says, so Zacchaeus quickly came down and welcomed Jesus joyfully. Know the invitation and the response. Jesus gives the invitation. What is our response? To welcome him joyfully or to reject him wholly? And what's interesting about this is that he comes and meets with Zacchaeus in his house. Yet the crowd around him, it says that they complained. They say, he's gone, speaking of Jesus, he's gone in to stay with a sinful man. You want to see a church that's influenced by the culture? Is a church that starts pointing out, you're staying with who? You're spending time with who? We're relating who come in these doors? Or a church that's been transformed and influences the culture, like Jesus welcomes all, accepts all who would come to him. I wonder if we're going to be a church like that. If we're a church like that, do we, are we ready for the all, the everybody in this community, to welcome them into the love of Christ while not forgetting the past history that we've had? Zacchaeus clearly shows signs of repentance and faith in Jesus, and Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. And this is what Paul's getting at. This was Jesus' mission, to come and seek and save those who have been separated from God, lost in their sinfulness, blind to what God is doing around them. And Paul went from, seeing to be, from not seeing to be blinded to believing. To which you see in verse 17, just a reflective response to the goodness of God's grace in his life. And in verse 17, he says this. He says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And this is what we gather together on Sunday mornings to, to reflect on God's goodness and grace and to praise him because he's still faithful, he's still moving, he's still present, he's still changing lives, he's still making things new, and he's still ever with us forever and ever and will never forsake us. So we come together to say to him be honor and glory forever and ever. In verse 18, again he's writing to Timothy, he says, Timothy my son, Paul wasn't his daddy, this is son in the faith, he has discipled Timothy Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight, having faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and have shipwrecked the faith. Among them are Hamanaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan so that they may not, uh, be taught not to blaspheme. All right, a little bit of unpacking we have to do here. Let me ask this question. 
When you're faced with your failure or shown the sin that you're in, what's your response? And don't call it out like this isn't like, just think about that. What is your response? Because you only have one of two options. One, you can continue to compromise with the culture by rejecting to acknowledge the sin you're in. Or, two, you can conform to Christ by repenting of the failure you've been faced with. You see, when you've been faced with sin that you didn't even know that you're in, see as God's goodness and grace continuing to shape you and mold you and bringing you to himself. See, repentance is so healthy. Yes, at one level it's saying, I'm sorry, I've seen my failure, Lord, where I've fallen short because we all do. But it's also turning and asking God to give me strength over this stumbling block that I have in my life. And realizing that whatever failure that is that's been pointing out is not unforgivable. It's not. And so he uses this term, deliver, deliver to Satan. And this is where it's handy to use the Bible principle study term, interpreting Scripture with Scripture. You see, the Apostle Paul uses this terminology in 1 Corinthians 5, 5 as well. But he says it in order to, so that the Spirit may, that, that Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. It's bringing a, a person to repentance when they've seen their sin. But here's the deal that Jesus in Matthew 18 gives us a pretty good outline on what this looks like. It would be completely unloving for us to go on letting someone live in their sin. It's uncomfortable, but how unloving would it be if you saw something that's unhealthy, damaging, destructive in someone's life, and you did nothing about it or said nothing or come alongside them in no way at all? Is that loving? Let them go down a path that's destructive. Because a lot of times, I don't know about you, but I've had sin in my life that was blinded to me. I call them blind spots. And praise God for men that love me enough to say, hey, brother, do you see what's going on here? That's a good thing. Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, if you have this person in your life, he says, go to them one-on-one. But if they don't listen to you, take two or three others with you. If they don't listen, one or two others with you, if they don't pay attention to you, says, tell the church. But if they don't listen to the church, you're to treat them, it says in Matthew 18, as a tax collector or a Gentile. In other words, as an unbeliever. Because there's no evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in them because that Holy Spirit's presence, when shown sin, brings repentance. What Paul would say is turn them over to Satan because it's a separation from God's people to the world's people. And we know from 1 John that the whole world's under the sway of the devil. But the point here is encouraging Timothy to fight the good fight. And maybe in context, 2 Timothy 4, 7, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So he's telling Timothy to keep the faith, fight the good fight of faith. Reminding him that you're living in a culture that is in conflict with Christ. And that you're leading a church who is compromising with the culture. So this is a reminder to focus your faith by clinging to Christ. I don't know about you, but there's times daily that I need to refocus my faith and cling to Christ because there's so many things in our culture that demands and calls and attracts my attention. And I think from this text that we've seen this morning, there's three, 
three reminders that we can glean to stay in the faith fight. Three takeaways. Number one, remember you're going to be dealing with sinners who need saving and the saved who are still sinning. Do we know that? We're going to be dealing with sinners who need saving and the saved who are still sinning. That's the reality of our life in Christ. Reminder number two, the overflowing grace and unmerited mercy Jesus gave you to save you. This is why we go to the gospel every single gathering. We need to be reminded of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. The unmerited mercy God didn't give you and I what we deserve, that is punishment for our sin, but gave us grace, something we did not deserve, that is salvation, forgiveness of sins for all who would believe in Christ Jesus. He did that when we didn't deserve it. And finally, reminder number three, the same overflowing grace and unmerited mercy that you received is available to all who would believe. That's important. All who would believe. There isn't a failure that cannot be forgiven by faith in the finished work of Christ. It is finished. And by faith, it is applied to your life. Forgiveness of sins for all who would believe. Romans 3.22 says like this. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who would believe. So my question put before us is one, do we believe, do you believe that your sins have been forgiven? If not, what is holding you back? Well, he can never forgive this, or he can never, if he only knew, your failures and your sin is not unforgivable by faith in Christ. I don't care what you've done. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So do you believe? And if you do believe, are you living like it? Because sometimes we get stuck in our sin or see our sin and we think, I am the worst and I'm unforgivable. It's just not true. By God's grace, he's showing your sin to keep you growing in him. I'll close with Jesus' comments here in Luke 5. He says, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do you believe? As we do, as we close every worship gathering, I'm going to invite us to respond to what God's doing right in this parking lot. Respond to what the Lord is showing you right here, right now. Do you believe? I'm not asking, do you know a whole bunch of facts about Jesus? Do you believe that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and the only way to receive forgiveness is in Jesus by faith according to His grace? Because we can't earn it. We can't manufacture it. We can't even ride on someone else's faith. We can't be good enough. We are the worst. 
Yet Jesus is, gave his best. God gave his best in Christ so that we could receive forgiveness. Maybe you're struggling with sin. Respond to surrendering that sin to Christ Jesus this morning. Asking him for the power. Asking him to give you a distaste for those things that he deemed distasteful. A hatred for the things God hates. Ask him to create a love for the thing he loves. Because here's the truth. If you have come to Jesus by faith, you have the spirit of the living God dwelling inside you. And he creates the new desires. The new wanter. I don't want the things I used to want. Do I still have struggles? Yes. But day by day, God is creating a new thing in me. I don't know what God's doing in your life right now. But I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to respond. So I invite you to pray with me. Let's respond right here, right now, in this place, in this parking lot, to what God's goodness and grace is doing in us. A response, heart posture to him. Let's pray. Father, right now I just ask that you move and continue moving your spirit in this place. Lord, encourage us with your spirit, your presence. Remind us of forgiveness that you've given to everyone who believes. Remind us of the debt that's been paid in Christ Jesus, that you took our place on that cross so we wouldn't have to because we could not. We could do nothing to earn a right relationship with you that we were created to have. And Lord, right now I just ask that if anyone is in a false impression that they have a relationship with you for any other reason besides faith, show them the truth. Lord, bring a heart of belief and repentance because you are a good, good father. And for all of us that are following you, remind us of your patience with us, that we will stumble, yet you are doing a work inside of us. Remind us that you are continuing to shape us and mold us in your image. And sometimes that can be painful. Being confronted with sin is painful. But Lord, show us that your showing of sin, your revealing of failures in our life is your goodness and grace to show us that there is forgiveness of our sins because of the amazing sacrificial love, grace, and mercy that's in Christ Jesus. And from this day, let us start walking in the boldness that you are in us, that you go before us, that you're with us, and you'll never forsake us because, Jesus, you are so, so good. Build our faith. Restore our faith. Bring encouragement to our broken hearts, our broken families. Bring forgiveness of ourselves because we've seen our failures. Know that you have forgiven us, so help us to forgive ourselves for the issues that we have. Lord, bring a heart of worship because you are so good. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning to be reminded of your goodness and grace and presence in our life. Do the work that only you can. Remove blinders, soften hearts, and help us see with clarity the goodness of your grace. We thank you for Jesus. And Father, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.